I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jennifer Davis. She's the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Learfield. Learfield is a company that's been around for, I think, over 50 years in the intercollegiate athletics of the U.S. Specifically, they offer licensing, multimedia, sponsorship management, publishing, audio, digital, and social media, data analytics, ticketing, ticket sales, professional concessions, expertise, branding, and campus-wide business and sponsorship development, as well as venue technology systems for many of the college athletic programs in the United States and the greater ecosystem. So on the show today, we talk a lot about sports, college sports, and it's big business. Um, We also highlight Jennifer's transition through the pandemic of um, taking on this new role, as well as finishing a book called Well-Made Decisions, and much, much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jennifer Davis. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I know we've got a lot to talk about, a lot about marketing, the pandemic, sports, and many other things. But before we get into it, you both started a new job and wrote a book during the pandemic. That's no small feat. Apparently, I'm a crazy person. (laughs) The timing was right. And frankly, in many ways, especially regarding the book, the pandemic actually 
was the opportunity. I needed to do something that had been on my bucket list for quite a long time. Tell us a little bit about the book before we get into other business stuff. The book is called Well-Made Decisions. And as the name implies, it is all about decision-making and implementation in the business context. And I wrote the book to bust a myth that I think exists very commonly among business leaders. And that is that we over-rotate on the idea of making the right decision. And we don't spend enough time and energy making our decisions much as Thomas Edison described genius, are 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And most of that sweat-inducing work happens after the decision is made. And so this book is all about how decisions are starting and it breaks down pro tips from my own experience, from research, from interviews with leaders across multiple industries of how to prepare yourself for that starting line and to see decisions through to great success. I'll definitely have to check out the book for sure. And we'll link to it in the show notes so people can find it as well. Let's talk about marketing. Where'd you get your career started in marketing? My background in marketing goes way back to the first role I had out of college, translating an internship at a software startup into a full-time role. And at a startup organization, you end up wearing a lot of different hats. So I was not only the marketing coordinator, but I also wrote installers for our software and did other projects around, around the office as well. And so after doing that for several years, I made a move uh, to a larger organization and started a path in marketing. And over the years, my focus has been on being a business leader and being a better business person, no matter what role I was in. And so I've had the opportunity to not only be in marketing roles, but in product strategy. I ran global customer service for a time. I've been in M&A activity and other corporate strategy roles. And all of those, I think, have informed me as a leader, as a business person, and now stepping into back into a, a marketing role hopefully makes me a, a better marketer as well. And you're now, I think I get this right, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Learfield. Tell us more about Learfield. I, I, from the website, I know we know a lot of the work that you do, but we may not know Learfield the name, if that makes sense. Learfield is one of these companies that undoubtedly, if you have had any interest in college sports, you have interacted with, but you might not know. Learfield is a media and technology company, a leader in collegiate sports. We have relationships with schools all over the country to represent those schools in sponsorship opportunities together with brands that want to connect with the fans of those schools. We also have relationships managing their licensing program. So if you've ever seen a bumper sticker or worn a t-shirt from a uh, representing a college, chances are we were involved in that. We also provide a wide range of services to schools from developing their official athletic websites and apps to doing their audio streaming of their games and related content. We provide, again, a host of services that extend to ticketing for not only games, but other live events and performing arts. So we are a company that is in a lot of ways powering 
that connection between brands and fans and that intergenerational connection that people have with their favorite teams. I've definitely interacted with Learfield in many ways, having grown up in the the, the ACC <laughs> collegiate environment in the Southeast with the Tar Heels and NC State Wolfpack. Yes, I'm definitely have interacted with Learfield. And not to mention, you're really, it seems like a full extension to, and use your word, like you're powering the collegiate sports teams and much of what they do. So that's, that's a big job. It's a fun space to be in. And I'm new to the sports marketing landscape, having spent time in my career in primarily technology driven companies across multiple industries. So this has been a really fun way to apply what I've learned in, again, other spaces to what we're doing here in college sports. It's a fun place to be. And I would put college sports fans up against any consumer group that I have ever interacted with. And I've worked for companies that had avid fans. I've worked for Amazon. I've worked for Honeywell. I've worked for companies, you know, who's Customers were very passionate about the offering. And again, college sports fans, there's nothing like them. No, if you want to get an argument, just just say which sports team you follow and somebody else in the room will be your arch rival. That's for sure. Or or, the, or your best friend. Or your that's best how, friend. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about you started this job, I believe, in March of 2021. So this year, in March of 2021, where'd you focus the first, say, 90, 120 days? And what was onboarding like during this environment? Well, onboarding is always a challenge in any organization, but doing that in a pandemic, even more so. I am blessed by the fact that the management team that I joined, the executive leadership team, is a warm and welcoming group and were very generous with their time and expertise to bring me up to speed as, as quickly as possible. I am a big believer in the concept of pre-boarding, which is the idea that you reach out prior to your day one to make some key connections and to gather information and build relationships at the company. And so as much as I pre-boarded and had very valuable, insightful conversations with many of my peers and other stakeholders in the organization that really made all the difference so that those conversations put me in the right posture, that posture of learning and listening. And then when I did join, I started with that foundation already built. And so I would say that was one of the things that really helped accelerate me into this work. The other thing I would say is that I was walking into an organization as its very first CMO role scoped in this way. And so I knew and our CEO uh, knew that I was going to be building a function and I was given space to do that. And I think that is an absolute gift for any executive or leader of any level coming into an organization is for the organization to make room for the work that needs to be done. and. It, like that has been a great partnership throughout the organization. And one of the first projects that I took on was at the time that I joined the company, it was just two years into a merger between what had been Learfield Communications and IMG College, which was the college businesses as part of the company IMG, who you might be familiar with, they're agents and they're in the entertainment space. They have a very diverse portfolio and their college business merged with Learfield to create 
Learfield IMG College. So that was quite a mouthful. So I knew and our CEO and leadership team knew that we should revisit the brand. And so I was able to start in that, even the pre-boarding process, having conversations, getting up to speed on some investigation work that had been done prior to my arrival, but then taking the reins of that and leading us through a whole rebranding exercise that resulted in us simplifying the name to Learfield and going with a whole new visual treatment that I rolled out in July. That's no small feat either, just because of the the number of stakeholders that you have to counsel through the process of doing an update like that and a, a massive change. Not to mention the rollout is probably still ongoing, I would imagine. Just another quick note on that. It it was interesting that I was finishing up this book about decision-making and really making decisions, the crafting and the polishing and the finishing of decisions after the choice is made. And I was able to apply literally the fresh learnings and reflections from my book to the rebranding project. Because any rebrand, like any high stakes decisions that you might make, is absolutely a starting line. And it's absolutely the start of a whole bunch of work streams. And so I was able to apply some of that thinking that I had immersed myself in for the year before as I was writing and rewriting and researching this book to an actual use case in my early days at Learfield. And so I'm blessed to to have been able to use that rebrand as a bit of a capstone application, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely putting that work right to work, so to speak. Let's talk a little bit about sports and college sports. That's a big business. What are some of the current trends that college sports is facing or looking at this point? There is a lot going on. You don't have to even be that interested in in sports. You you could pick up a consumer publication and it's uh, lots of stories about what is happening in this space. It's very dynamic right now. One of the things that I would say has underlined my interest in this space and what we're doing with our company and our strategies is rooted in that fan. And we have put together the largest data and analytics repository for fan data. So college fans, and we now have first party records of tens of millions of fans. And so for the first time, we're able to paint a picture of what college fans look like. And what we have found in the initial research that we did, and we published actually the inaugural annual report for the intercollegiate fan, we call it the intercollegiate fan report. And we just launched that in August. But in that report, we were able to compile this information about fans. And and here's a few things that might be surprising to you. I knew they were to me and are things that we're actually in our business. One is that there are more college sports fans than there are fans for any professional league. In aggregate, college sports fans are not only more numerous, but they self-recognize, self-identify as being more avid, more loyal than fans of any other, even professional teams. And then digging into that kind of double clicking on those fans further, they are more likely over 81% more likely than the general U.S. population to have household incomes over $150,000. So they also represent affluence and spending power. 
And that was a very interesting dynamic. As you might even guess, uh, college sports fans are more likely to be college educated and be in professional fields. So there's some other kind of subtrends there that are interesting. The other thing that we identified is that the the gender balance in college sports fans is more balanced than you might think. Over 42% of college sports fans are female. And just a little footnote to that, there's some reasons to believe that might be understated because many women's or Olympic sports at the college level are not ticketed, which means it's difficult to get data about who the fans are. And so that was even taking it at its face, 42% female combined with that spending power creates a really attractive segment for our brand clients to engage with. And so that's been really fun to unpack and to explore. And of course, we're doing that down at the conference or the school level as well, so that local brands who want to connect with the fans in Ames, Iowa, or Athens, Georgia can do that with a level of specificity and kind of data-driven decision-making. So that's been really fun to see. We've also seen the expansion of college sports as part of the marketing mix for brands and and industries and categories of product that have never been in the college space before. In the past few years, we've seen our first forays into cyber cybersecurity, also Bitcoin and cyber currencies. We've seen investments in the spirits category at schools that have opened that up. Some schools have strict uh, policies or perspectives on alcohol. Some have never opened up beer, but we now have had hard spirits opened up in some schools. We're actually seeing some schools opening up sports betting at the collegiate level as that becomes legal. So we've seen a lot of change in the sponsorship categories that are coming. And when you combine what's happening with with marketers getting more creative and looking at college sports together with the dynamics of what we see in this college sports fan, we're also seeing a lot of investment in women's sports. We're seeing brands sponsor whole women's programs or become the title sponsor, presenting sponsor of multiple women's sports. We also saw huge growth in sponsorship and engagement in women's softball this past College World Series. And so again, it's great to see that investment translating out of the traditional revenue sports of football and basketball, which of course are the the engines of many athletic departments, but extending that and diversifying that has been an important part of what we can do as well. No, that's amazing. And good grief, what a wealth of data like you, you've assembled there uh, to mine both for uh, the school's benefit, but also just to help bring new sponsors to the mix too. I had no idea that one, the gender balance was as balanced as it is, and two, that the household incomes were as high as they were. That's amazing. It's interesting to me, as somebody who has spent a lot of their career in B2B marketing trying to attract decision makers, I feel like college sports is probably a, a kind of a overlooked way to do that. We think of it as a consumer play, but I think there's a lot of opportunity to connect with community leaders, business leaders, and the like through sports marketing. So it's, again, a, a fun thing to explore. We'll talk again and, and we will have, we will have unpacked some of that for our brand clients. Definitely. And it, the other thing I'm thinking about too, is that if Legit fans are, or are more avid fans in general, connecting 
your brand, whether it's B2B or B2C, to that thing that they care passionately about can only bring great things. There's no downside to that. Yeah. And we have some data that absolutely reinforces what you're saying is that they brands that are seen to be associated with people's favorite teams, absolutely, they get more trials, they get more loyalty, they get more kind of affinity halo shine their way. And so it's absolutely a brand builder in ways that, again, people done this for a long time, they know, (laughs) but uh, others are becoming more familiar with what's possible in college sports. That's awesome. As a girl dad of a 14-year-old who likes basketball and soccer, I'm glad to hear the other trends around women's sports in terms of like sponsors coming to the play or coming to the mix and getting more exposure of the women's programs as well. That's awesome. You mentioned things like Bitcoin and cybersecurity and and that mix. There's also like this notion of esports going on at the college or collegiate level. I don't know much at all about what's going on in that space. So can you educate me a little bit? What is collegiate esports look like? Yeah, this is actually an area that we've brought to the forefront at the college level because we have these relationships with the schools and esports is coming on very strong as just a general category. Overwhelmingly college age individuals and college students play video games. Hard stop. That's just truth. And what we're able to do, we have a series of tournaments we call Level Next. We have, they happen at different levels. We have a national tournament. We also have tournaments that happen at the school or local level. And it allows these esports student athletes to actually compete for championships for their school. But the field of play is quite different. We are just kicking off EA Madden tournament, taking that kind of that theme of football that would have always been so strong in, in Learfield's background and bringing that uh, to the esports uh, space and allowing people to compete for like real dollars, real prizes, and again, bragging rights and championship visibility for their school programs. And so that's been very exciting to see the growth of. We're, we're not even to the first anniversary of our esports effort. And we've already seen amazing growth in that category. 4 million people watching championship play on Twitch and schools and programs continuing to invest in this area and more and more attention being given to it. So it's been a really fun thing to see grow and one that we expect, again, to be on the right side of trends moving forward. Because so many people, maybe during the pandemic have their interest in video games, but also it appeals to a different generation as well than some of the traditional stick and ball sports. I feel like my daughter keeps coming back up in this conversation, but we were, <laughs> she, she, she watches uh, YouTube incessantly and, and it's people playing video games. I don't think she's on Twitch, um, but she probably is. And I just don't know, but she's even started buying merch from some of her favorite game players. And we were in New York for a weekend getaway. And I guess there was a game conference going on and we were walking down the street having after lunch or something. And here comes like, she starts freaking out and I'm, I'm like, what is going on? What's going on? And she doesn't tell me until the person is way far away from us, but it's one of her favorite game players it's a girl and i cannot remember her name or what she goes by but she's the sweatshirt that i have that's her icon or whatever and i was like oh my gosh there's definitely passion in esports to the level for her i think that's higher than collegiate sports at 14. and it's interesting 
how we're seeing the interplay. I, I know one of my very first weeks at the company, we were in the midst of tournament play in our Level Next uh, League, and I saw a tweet go through that tagged the tournament. And it was somebody who, <laughs> the tweet went something like this. I am a avid, devout Tennessee fan. I didn't know anything about esports, but our esports person is doing really well in this tournament. So go Vols. And now I'm an esports fan. <laughs> <laughs> because again, that school affinity runs so deep. And so this whole idea that people would bring to them their passion for gaming together with a passion for a school. It's a pretty powerful combination. And of course, passion for the individual game titles. We have great relationships with these publishers and are helping to bring more you know, eyes to the game and to this gameplay, recognition for the players that are really killing it. And, and in addition, recognizing the school affiliations, which is just is also a wonderful connection for fans like your daughter. Like what if that player that she admired so much was on a team at a college, right? That's how it happens. Yes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that college would shoot up to the top of the list of places you wanted to go. And again, that is the power that sports has always had. Like sports is what's been described as the front porch of a school or college. It, we saw examples where schools, you know, like the women's basketball team at Baylor did, so, you know, obviously did so well in the Final Four tournament. And that translated directly to more people being interested in their program and more people applying and more people being aware of the brand of the school. And, and that's always happened in traditional sports. And now it's happening in these new areas as well. Yeah, no, that's amazing. You work with so many sports groups and so many brands and partners that come to the table. I'm, I'm curious if you could share some examples of what people are doing today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You can imagine there's tens of thousands of them or at multiple levels. We have some sponsors that want to work with schools across the country or they are targeting a particular dma or a particular audience and finding the schools that best would suit that there are others that are committed fans of the oregon ducks in eugene oregon and that alumni now owns a coffee shop or an insurance agent agency and, and we've seen these great partnerships develop no matter where people are coming from, I guess you'd say. There's some great examples of activations that the 
are ongoing that people may be familiar with. I think of partnership that we have with Allstate. Allstate is a longtime supporter of college sports. And you may notice that whenever there's a field goal kicked, the field goal nets actually have the you're in good hands Allstate logo, a great brand tie-in. It's almost as if they're tempting the kicker. You just place it right here. We have our (laughs) hands out for you. There's an example of of an activation that is tied into what they do in other medias and other channels as well, but they're bringing that in to the game day experience. So the folks in the stands, it's not just the folks on TV, but the folks in the stands, the folks in the community are seeing that same Allstate activations, not only on those nets and half a dozen other things that they do with us. And we like to develop those kinds of relationships. Uh, This Allstate is a great example of a kind of relationship that if Allstate decided they were going to do something different and get out of college sports, what what other logo could be on those field goal nets that would have quite that same meaning and the, and the same connection? You're in good hands, that whole thing. And we like making those connections that become a meaningful part of how the brand builds their equity. And there's examples of that throughout our businesses. Brands have invested to own an asset on the stadium, TV visible, activate, activations on campus, hospitality elements. There's Again, hundreds of things that people can do, but to the extent that they can, that it can tie so closely to the meaning of the brand or a long time always on campaign that really helps them move the needle. We've also seen brands like Unilever come in as sponsorships, not only for traditional college assets, but also for esports as well. And the tack that they have taken is very cause marketing forward. And so Unilever invested in Level Next and was promoting some of their uh, community engagement and social responsibility elements. And uh, again, a great way to engage a demographic that is very conscious of how the brands that they are spending money with are engaging in communities or standing on particular issues. And we've seen cause marketing be something that is gaining momentum, especially at those campaigns that are aimed at that 18 to 34-year-old demographic or even the 18 to 24-year-old you know, college student demographic. So that's been a, another trend. Something that I mentioned earlier about reaching decision makers among college sports fans. We've seen some growth in in B2B brands coming in. You can imagine across the Midwest, for instance, there might be seed or agricultural supply companies that uh, know that their decision makers and buying audiences are probably in the stands at Iowa or Mizzou and, and want to make those connections, not just on game day, but every day. So we've seen some really interesting activations there. And the ability that college has, this idea that we can work with a brand like a Unilever or an Allstate to activate across the nation, or we can work very hyper-localized in a community that may not be a leading DMA and attracting other advertising. If you want to be known in Corvallis, Oregon, connection with Oregon State is a great way to be known in that local community. And there are many local and regional businesses that take advantage of that. One of the things, sports is very dynamic industry. And one of the things that come on the news lately and and, and into the limelight is 
the college athlete regulations around the ability for athletes to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. How has that impacted the market to date? It is very early. The first regulations went into effect July 1st. So we're what, 120 days or something into something that is a fundamental change in how division one student athletes can monetize and profit from their name, image, and likeness, something that was strictly prohibited before with lots of penalties around doing it wrong. And it's it's been great to see the adoption of it, the level of experimentation. I think everybody's fi- trying to figure it out and to make the most use of it. I would say one of the things that we've done is because we have these deep relationships with our school partners, we've focused there on consulting, providing information and guidance to our school partners. And in parallel, looking for opportunities to help in any way we can, again, further the trend in a way that is doing it the right way for all the parties involved. And one of the recent examples of how it's affected our business and what we're doing is our licensing business, which markets under the name CLC, is, I mentioned earlier, is a leading provider of licensing management and brand management to schools. And so we'll work with, sometimes it's the athletic department, but often it's the bookstore or the marketing department or other leaders, the licensing director of the school to really represent the proud traditions of the school and their colors and other intellectual property, mascots and logos and the like. So one of the things, we've had longstanding relationships representing the schools in deals for video games and jerseys and playing cards and other things that might have represented the school. Now, for the first time, student athletes can participate in that. And so we just announced just a few weeks ago a, a partnership with one team partners to bring a opportunity for student athletes to individually opt in to participate and have their name on a school jersey, have their name and face and stats on a trading card, or to have them represented in a video game representing college gameplay. And this is an opportunity that just never existed before. And we decided to partner with one team on this because one team has a lot of experience in licensing for professional players associations and other groups that are doing the same kind of thing. And so they have great relationships as we do with the licensees, folks like Fanatics or folks like Electronic EA or Panini and others who do trading cards. And so the idea of combining these together where somebody would log into what we call our compass system, a student athlete could log in individually opt in saying, sure, I'll be on a jersey. Sure, I'll be on a playing card. And then one team represents those that interest back to those licensees. So again, a great opportunity and almost the quintessential NIL opportunity, the one that was always talked about. <laughs> as why can't this happen? Why can't a student benefit from having their name and face and body type being in a video game? Now they can. And so it's, again, we're excited, interested, curious. We're in the midst of all of this. Deals like the partnership that we've, the agreement that we've struck with one team is a great example of how we're trying to bring solutions. That's an awesome example. And I I never really thought about the fact that the interplay, if you will, and the one team approach that you describe and then working with professional players associations, I was thinking like the world poker tour or something like that, right? If you take 
the player out of the context with all of the World Poker Tour logo and branding around that person, as an example, do you really recognize them? Some you probably would, but others maybe less. And, and I would imagine college athletes fit that same profile. Like you take them out of their numbered jersey that's the school colors and they become a little less identifiable. But how do you manage licensing for an individual <laughs> and the school all together? That's a scale problem to try to figure out. And it's funny that you've got a system that, that can actually help manage through that. And you've hit it on the head. It's a scale problem. There are up to 500,000 student athletes at the college level. And again, not all of them are playing for ranked programs and not all of them will become household names. But one of the things that we know from the early days of NIL, which has been a really interesting insight, is of the student athletes with the top following on social media, less than half of them which means they're not necessarily pulling from the same revenue sports, football and basketball. Of course they are as well, but we also see volleyball players and gymnasts and the like being able to do things that they never did before. And I, I don't know about you, again, um, mom of a daughter as well, but to watch the Olympics this year and to hear these professional gymnasts that decided for the first time that they didn't have to go pro they could actually go to college. That was a choice that Simone Biles did not have. I don't want to speak out of turn about her choices, but I've watched her documentary. She wanted to go to UCLA, but she couldn't do it. She couldn't afford to do it because of, of the limitations. But now we have students that are at OSU or they're at Auburn and they're doing things that open up new possibilities. And they, and they really are pioneers in every sense of the word. And we're hoping you know, to work with our schools and be part of that legacy. There's no shortage of things to talk about when we start talking about sports <laughs> and college. I know. It's, like I said, it's a fun place to be. It is. And we'll, we'll have to have you back on as you get a little further into this job and the landscape changes again. I'm sure it will because it's always evolving. So we'll have to have you back on and talk about college sports and, and how brands and, and marketers should be thinking about the landscape. But until then, let's switch gears and learn a little bit more about you my favorite question to ask all the guests that come on is, has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Yeah, obviously so many. <laughs> where, where to start? One that just immediately came to mind as you were asking the question that I think is it's a lesson that I've tried to apply since then is I was working for a company. I had decided to go to graduate school. I wanted to get my MBA. Again, along the theme of I didn't want to just be a great marketer. I wanted to be a great business person. And I felt like I needed to round out my education in that way. And so I started applying for schools and selected a program. And I started talking to my CEO at the, at the time, my boss, about what that might entail and some accommodations I might need for, I decided to go an executive MBA route. So I was going to, every third Friday, I would need to be available for school and various things anyway. And the reaction to that wasn't what I hoped. They were quite traditional in their approach. They were more concerned about me taking time off than they were about the fact that I was paying for my own education and I was going to turn around and become a more valuable employee to them. I was really puzzled by some of the lines of questioning I was getting. Again, I was fairly early in my career still, so I didn't quite have the grounding to be able to articulate and advocate for myself the way that I hope I could do now. 
But I remember talking to our head of HR and organizational design, and she and I took a walk in the park that was across the street from our offices. And she listened to my perspective and the emotion that I had and the excitement I had for school, but the disappointment I was having and in my boss's reaction to the whole thing, et cetera, et cetera. And um, after listening deeply, she said, Jennifer, what do you want? And it's still to this day, I would say rings up with one of the most clarifying questions I've ever been asked. And one that is, I think, an important reminder, not only to me, but to maybe the listeners as well, is that now when I am in a situation where I feel the emotion rising, and if you're passionate about something, that's going to happen. If you don't care, then that's a whole other thing. But I've never been one of those people. So when I feel the emotion rising, or I can see so clearly what needs to be done, but I'm having a hard time articulating that or getting others aligned to it. I just go back to that question that she asked me all those years ago on that park bench. What do you want? And in this particular case, going back to that park bench, it wasn't, I wanted an acknowledgement that what I was investing in, that I was investing in myself and that was going to benefit the company. And I wanted that to be recognized. And it became pretty clear not soon long after that, that that wasn't going to happen at that company. And as a result, I ended up maybe being a little bit more open to a call that I had, than I otherwise would have been to a call that I got from a former colleague of mine that said, Hey, I just got a job at Intel. They really need you over here. You could do a great job. Can I put you in for this role that they just opened up? And again, within a few weeks, I was um, starting a new job, doing market development uh, at Intel, a company that very much believed in education and was very excited to have me work on a capstone project in the business that I was in and wrapped that together for me. And But I might not have come to that had she not asked those questions. And I might have made a move, but I would have been maybe running away from something, not running to something strategically. So that question just clarified what I was looking for. And anyway, so there's one example of thousands of others where other people have spoken into my life and hopefully made me a little wiser. It's a great, insightful question to ask yourself and good for you (laughs) to, to, to know what you want and, and go get it. So that's amazing. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? Speaking of mentors and sponsors speaking speaking wisdom to me, I once worked alongside C, CFO, now retired and serving on boards and doing great work. But he once told me that it was very important for everybody in the company to understand the business model of the business. And I know I don't know if this was an analogy he used or one I added later, but it's very appropriate considering what I'm doing now. But I have since told this story thousands of times and have said, it is very important that you know how the score is kept in your business and how to read the scoreboard. The Atlanta Braves just won the World Series. And I'll tell you, Freddie Freeman is a great athlete and he can run and he can bat, obviously, (laughs) and he can play first base, but he wouldn't do any of those things nearly as well if he didn't know how the score was kept. 
And I feel the same thing applies to us as professionals, whether we're early career or we've been doing this for a while, it's very important to know how the score is kept in the business. And you will be a better first baseman or you will be a better outfielder if you know how the score is kept. And in most cases that in most businesses, that translates to a couple things. It translates to a deep understanding of how to read and understand financial statements. You may work for a private company or a public company. In any case, get deeply curious about how the company makes money, where it makes money, where the revenue comes from, what the profit models look like, and what the goals are. Again, that'll make you a much better first baseman. And in, increasingly in companies that have more of a balanced scorecard approach, it's very important to understand the values and mission of the company. There might be an underlying cause behind that business that really fuels the day-to-day -day decision-making and the culture of the company. And so the more new, you know, folks new in their career who are joining a company, the better they understand that, the better they'll be able to to make decisions on a day-to-day -day basis and participate in the things that are really moving the needle for the business. So that's my advice. Learn how to read the scoreboard. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do you feel as a marketer, is there anything, a topic you're trying to learn more about or you think other marketers should be learning more about? Maybe it is understanding the business. <laughs> I say that's definitely a perennial one. And especially for individuals who identify first as marketers, they need to also understand that they're there to play a business role. And especially when you get to the senior leadership level or executive leadership level, I am there on our most senior staff to represent marketing, certainly, and the function of marketing. And I should bring excellence to that and knowledge and expertise and credibility. But I'm also there first and foremost as a steward of the business. And so that that becomes very important in everything that we're doing as we allocate resources and advocate for what's right. It could be that the next dollar of investment should go into marketing and it could be that the next dollar of investment shouldn't. And I should be the one advocating for what's right for that business. I would say the other thing, there's always topics just in marketing that I'm following closely. We have products and services in digital sponsorship and digital marketing and the trends of what's happening in that space as we move to a cookie-free world and is very intriguing, not only for me as a marketer, but because we provide marketing solutions for our brands. And so that's an area that we're that I'm watching and we're watching closely. And then the other thing I would say that is, again, falls into that perennial category is how can you as a marketer or as a business person be an informed and passionate advocate for what your customers need and want. When I worked at Amazon, we called it being customer obsessed. And it went beyond being customer centric or thinking of a value proposition for a customer. It really started with what problem are we solving and working backwards from there to the solution rather than from a solution out in search of a problem. <laughs> And I feel like that is the temptation of any innovative company that's filled with smart people is to invent solutions. And I'm speaking to myself and I'm speaking to everybody on the phone. I think that's something that you constantly have to watch in yourself and be disciplined about is being obsessed about um, you know, the problem that you're solving and uh, making sure that you're doing it in a way that deserves the attention and loyalty of the customers you're trying to attract. 
as a person in the world consuming things every day, are there any brands, companies, or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? I have also been watching with interest what Peloton has done during the pandemic. And I think the emphasis that is happening right now on personal wellness and fitness, uh, I think it also crosses over to mental health in a way that's really interesting. We've also seen that as a trend in some of our sponsorship arrangements. But I think there is something going on right now in, in our world that I, I once read that you should never let a good crisis go to waste. And I, I feel like that's the world that we're in right now. Many companies um, are experiencing what they call the great resignation as people are moving and reevaluating their lives. I, I actually think that's a symptom of a trend. And the trend is that it's the great reflection. And so I love the brands that are tapping into that sense of reflection and not just on January 1st for New Year's resolutions, but every day. So I'm, I'm, I'm cheering us all on as a human race that we can focus and get better as a people and take care of each other. <laughs> so any brands or companies that are helping us do that, I'm all for. I agree. I like your notion of great reflection because I, I do think that at the underpinning of what's driving what's going on. And so hopefully, yeah, hopefully we do get to a better space for ourselves and better integration of making money and living life. So we'll see what happens. Last question for you. What do you feel is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? I think the the threat facing marketers is really one of focus versus distraction, I would say. We live in a world that's very, very noisy. We live in a world where everything, information and up until recent supply chain issues, <laughs> every product in the world is available at our fingertips that can be delivered by this afternoon. And I think the biggest threat and opportunity in this noisy world we live in and trying to cut through that noise to reach customers and consumers in a meaningful way, to connect with companies that you want to work with, is to stay focused on the things that are going to make the biggest difference. And again, I'm preaching to myself here because I'm an idea generating person. <laughs> So like, I'm as guilty as anybody as following the shiny object or coming up with a new idea today. But those that will win in the long term will be consistent and they'll drive to a, a, a common drumbeat that is really keeping that customer in focus and cutting away at the distractions. As somebody that has just written a book on well-made decisions, I always think about decisions as a way to focus because I think the, the the act of making a decision is to take something off the table to focus on what you want to move forward. And very nice bookend to this interview. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. It was such a pleasure to chat through some of my favorite uh, topics and, and interests. So yes, let's definitely uh, meet up again and we can talk sports marketing. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.